Hey readers, before we start today's chapter, I want to play your voice messages. So last time, in the previous chapter, Katherine Patterson, the author, described how the characters in the book go to a white church and a black church. And I asked you to explain, why do you think Katherine Patterson included that detail in the book? Why was it so important for the readers to know about that? Here were your voice messages. The reason why the author, Katherine Patterson, wanted to add that detail to, sh to set what time it is, it was the time back then where black people were separated from white people. It was important that the author included that because uh, Mr. Randolph was black and Gilly, William, Ernest, and Miss Trotter were all white. And Miss Trotter was against segregation because she always hung out with Mr. Randolph. And uh, William and uh, Gilly was against black people. She hated black people. So it was kind of interesting to see their different perspectives about the black people. And I have no idea what uh, William Ernest thought about it. But uh, so Gilly and Miss Tr Trotter and William Ernest all went to the white church when uh, Mr. Randolph had to go to the black church. And just their customs were way different. So it was kind of cool. I think that the author put the black church and the white church because like back then things were different. Like, some people like black people for who they are, but some people still don't. Um, so I think they made that because in a church, it's, like, really holy. I don't know. And you can't really uh, you can't really get someone hurt or fight or anything like that, and you can't harm people in there. So I think they separate them because some people still really don't like um, black people for the color of their skin. Hi, this is Sabrina, and I think that the author um, took time to um, write that there are two different churches because I feel like she just wanted to, people like us to know, like her readers to know, that there is like another church. And I feel like the one that Mr. Randolph goes to is more expensive to go to because it's, like, more fancy. It's, uh, like, people smile more. So I've, and, oh, like, like the thing is longer. So I think that's, like, showing you that Mr. Randolph has more money, I guess, than Miss Trotter because, um, yeah. <laughs> Bye in that The Great Gilly Hopkins, Chapter 9. Pow! There was a fight between Trotter and Miss Ellis. Gilly heard the sounds of battle in the living room when she came in from school the next afternoon. Never, never, never! Trotter was bellowing like an old cow deprived of its calf. Gilly stopped still in the hallway, closing the door without a sound. Mrs. Trotter, nobody at the agency looks at it as any indication of failure on your part. Do you think I care what the agency thinks? You're one of our most capable foster parents. You've been with us for more than 20 years. This won't affect your record with us. You're too valuable. I don't give a spit about no record. You ain't taking Gilly. 
We're trying to think of you. No, you ain't. If you was thinking of me, you'd never come to me with such a full notion. This is a troubled child, Mamie. She needs special. No, I ain't giving her up. Never. If you won't think of yourself, think of William Ernest. He's come too far in the last year to let. I've seen myself how she upsets him. It was William Ernest who got her to come home last night. Trotter's voice was square and stubborn. Because he saw how upset you were, that doesn't mean she can't damage him. William Ernest has lived with me for over two years. He's going to make it. I know he is. Sometimes, Ms. Ellis, you got to walk on your heel and favor your toe even if it makes your heel a little sore. I, I don't understand what you're diving at. Somebody's got to favor Gilly for a little while. She's long overdue. That's exactly it, Mrs. Trotter. I'm quite aware of Gilly's needs. I've been her caseworker for nearly five years. And whether you believe it or not, I really care about her. But I don't think it's her needs we're talking about right now, is it? What do you mean? It's your needs, she said very quietly. A silence and then. Yes, Lord knows I meet her. A funny broken little sob came from Trotter. I like to die when I found her gone. You can't do that, Mrs. Trotter. You can't let them tear you to pieces. Don't try to tell a mother how to feel. You're a foster mother, Mrs. Trotter. Miss Ellis's voice was firm. You can't afford to forget that. Gilly's whole body was engulfed in a great aching. She opened and slammed the front door, pretending to have just come in. This time they heard her. That's you, Gilly, honey? She went to the doorway of the living room. Both women were on their feet, flushed as though they'd been running a race. Well, Gilly, Miss Ellis began, her voice glittering like a fake Christmas tree. Miss Ellis, Trotter broke in loudly, was just saying how it's up to you. There was a flash of alarm from the social worker, which Trotter pretended not to see. You want to stay on here with William Ernest and me? That's fine. You want to find you someplace else? That's fine, too. You gotta be the one to decide. Her eyes shifted uneasily toward Miss Ellis. What about, Gilly asked, her mouth going dry as a stale soda cracker. What about my real mother? Miss Ellis's eyebrows jumped. I wrote her, Gilly, several months ago, when we decided to move you from the Nevinses. She never answered. She wrote me. She wants me to come out there. Miss Ellis looked at Trotter. Yes, I know about the postcard, the caseworker said. Those damn cops reading people's mail and blabbing, passing it around, snickering over it probably. Gilly, if, if she had really wanted you with her. She does want me. She said so. Then why hasn't she come to get you? A hard edge had come into Miss Ellis's voice, and her eyebrows were twitching madly. It's been over eight years, Gilly. Even when she lived close by, she never came to see you. It's different now, wasn't it? She's gonna come. She really wants me. Didn't she? Trotter came over to her and laid her arm heavily on Gilly's shoulder. If she knowed you, if she just knowed what a girl she has, she'd be here in a minute. 
Oh, Trotter, don't be a fool. If she knew what I was like, she'd never come. It takes someone stupid like you. Gilly removed herself gently from under the weighty embrace and addressed herself to Miss Ellis, eye to eyebrow. Till she comes, till she comes for me, I guess I'll just stay here. Trotter wiped her face with her big hand and snuffled. Well, I'm sure we'll be seeing you sometime, Miss Ellis. The social worker wasn't going to be swept out quite so easily. She set her feet apart as though fearing Trotter might try to remove her bodily and said, Officer Ryan told me when he called that you had well over a hundred dollars with you last night. Yeah? Came out sassy, but Miss Ellis just squinted her eyes and went on. It's hard to believe that it was all your money. So? So I call taking other people's money stealing, Miss Hopkins. Yeah? Trotter patted Gilly's arm as if to shush her. So do we, Miss Ellis. Surely you don't think this is the first time something like this has happened to me in over the last 20 years? No, I know it's not. Then how about trusting me to handle it? Miss Ellis shook her head and smoothed her pantsuit down over, the, over her rump before she put on her coat. I'll be in close touch, she said. Trotter nearly shoved her out the front door. We're going to do just fine. Don't worry your pretty little head about us, here. I get paid to worry, Mrs. Trotter. Trotter smiled impatiently and closed the door quickly. When she turned back toward Gilly, her face was like Mount Rushmore stone. Gilly blinked in surprise as the sudden and absolute change. I don't take lightly to stealing, you know. Gilly nodded, no use pretending sassiness. I figure that money ain't all mine, right? No. Well, where'd you get it? I found it, said Gilly softly. Trotter came over and with two hands lifted Gilly's face to look into her own. Where did you get it, Gilly? I found it behind some books next door. Trotter dropped her hands in disbelief. You stole from Mr. Randolph? It was just lying there behind the books. He probably didn't even... Gilly! You stole it. Don't put no fancy name on it. It was his and you took it, right? I guess so. How much? Uh, four, thir Don't fool with me. How much? Forty-four dollars, Gilly said miserably. Well, you gotta take it back. I can't. Trotter stood there, hand on hip, staring at her until Gilly continued. I gave five dollars to Agnes Stokes. You did, huh? Gilly nodded. Well, great sigh. I'll lend you the five to pay Mr. Randolph back and you can work it off. Giving back Mr. Randolph's money was not as bad as it might have been. The old man apparently had no idea that there had been any money behind his books. Either he'd forgotten or it had been put there by his wife, dead long before Trotter's Melvin. At any rate, when Gilly gave the $44 to him, Trotter looming behind her like a mighty army, he accepted her mumbled explanation without showing shock or undue curiosity, but with a strange little dignity. Thank you, he said, for once not doubling the phrase. He put the money in his pocket, rubbed his hands together briefly, and then put out his hand to be led to supper. 
Gilly hesitated for a moment, waiting for the sermon that was bound to pour forth, if not from him, surely from Trotter. But neither spoke, so she took Mr. Randolph's hand, instead of his elbow, as she usually did, as a kind of thank you. Trotter had obviously never heard either of the minimum wage or the child labor laws. She posted the following sign in the kitchen. Washing dishes and cleaning kitchen, 10 cents. Vacuuming downstairs, 10 cents. Cleaning both bathrooms, including floors, 10 cents. Dusting, 10 cents. Helping William Ernest with schoolwork, one hour, 25 cents. Gilly began to spend a lot of time with W.E., she discovered several things. One was that the boy was not as dumb as he looked. If you held back and didn't press him, he could often figure out things for himself. But when you crowded him, he would choke right up. And if you laughed at him, he'd throw his hands up as if to protect his head from a blow. It finally occurred to Gilly that he really thought she would smack him every time he made a mistake. Which was why, of course, Trotter tiptoed around the boy as though he would shatter at the least commotion and why she was deaf on anyone she caught fooling around with him. But it wasn't going to work. W.E. wasn't a fluted antique cup in Mrs. Devins's china cupboard. He was a kid, a foster kid, and if he didn't toughen up, what would happen to him when there was no trotter to look after him? So Gilly asked him, What do you do when somebody socks you? He squinted his little eyes and went wild behind the glasses. I'm not going to hit you. I was just wondering what you do. He stuck his right index finger into his mouth and began to tug at the nail. She took out the finger and studied his stubby nailed hand for a minute. Nothing wrong with this, I can see. Ever think of smacking them back? He shook his head wide-eyed. You going to get through life letting people pick on you? He hung his head. The finger went back in. Look, William Ernest. She bent over close to his ear and whispered hoarsely into it. I'm going to teach you how to fight. No charge or anything. Then, when some big punk comes up to you and tries to start something, you can just let them have it. His finger dropped from his mouth as he stared at her, unbelieving. You hear how I fought six boys one day all by myself? He nodded solemnly. Before I get through with you, you're going to do the same thing. Pow, 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 pow. She landed six imaginary punches, sending six imaginary bullies flying. Pow, he echoed softly, tentatively doubling up his fist and giving a feeble swing. First thing, when somebody yells at you, don't throw your hands up, she imitated him, and act like you think they're going to kill you. Pow, he swung his little fist in a kind of question mark. Not, not first thing. See, they may not be even meaning to hit you. First thing is, you take a deep breath. She filled her diaphragm and waited while he tried to imitate her, his ribs poking through his shirt. And then you yell like this, Get the hell out of my way! Before the sentence was out, Trotter was filling the doorway like the wrath of God Almighty. Okay, okay, Gilly said. Leave out the hell part. The main thing. What are you kids doing? I thought I was paying you to help William Ernest with his reading. Nah, this is on my own time. No charge. Trotter looked anxiously at W.E., 
He was standing on tiptoe, fist clenched, eyes squeezed shut in his red face, sucking in a huge breath. Get the hell out of my way! He turned to Gilly, smiling. Is that good, Gilly? Better leave the hell part out in front of Trotter, but that was pretty good for a start. Really not bad. Gilly, said Trotter. Look, Trotter, he's got to learn to take care of himself, and I'm the best damn, <clears throat> the best teacher around. Trotter just went on standing in the doorway as though she couldn't think what to do next. When the little guy marched over to her, put his fists up in front of her huge bosom, took in a breath and said squeakily, Get out of my way! Tears started in the woman's eyes. She threw her arms around W.E. and bear-hugged him. I was just practicing, Trotter. I didn't mean you. I know, William Ernest, honey, she said. I know. He's got to learn to take care of himself in the world, Trotter. The big woman wiped her face with her apron and sniffed. Don't I know that, baby? She patted the boy and straightened up. How about you finishing this lesson outside? I don't believe it's something I want to listen to. Come on, Gilly. William Ernest slid around Trotter and started for the back door. Pow, pow. They could hear him exploding softly down the hall. I'm not going to teach him to pick on people, Gilly said. Just how to take care of himself. He can't come hiding behind your skirt every time someone looks at him cross-eyed. I suppose not. Even real mothers can't watch out for kids the rest of their lives, and you're just his foster mother. So they keep telling me. Gilly hadn't meant it to be cruel, but she needed to make Trotter understand. If he knows how to read and how to stick up for himself, he'll be okay. Got it all figured out, ain't you, Gilly, honey? She relaxed into a smile. Well, I ain't stopping your boxing lessons. I just don't care to watch. Boxing lessons? The woman was a throwback to another century. Gilly started to pass her at the door, but as she brushed by the big body, Trotter grabbed her and planted a wet kiss on her forehead. One hand went up automatically to wipe the spot, but a look at Trotter's face and Gilly stopped her arm midway. Don't know what got into me, Trotter mumbled, trying to turn it into a joke. I know you don't allow him no kissing. Sometimes I just haul off and go crazy. At Sunday school, Miss Applegate calls it demon possession. Does she now? Demon possession, is it? She began to laugh so hard, Gilly could feel the boards vibrating under her feet. Demon possession? Mercy, girl, I'd have to catch me a jet to keep one step ahead of you. Well, you better get going before the devil grabs me one more time. She waved her hand out to land a mock spank on Gilly's bottom, but by the time it swept the air, Gilly's bottom, along with the rest of her, was well down the hall. In this chapter, at the end, Gilly decides that she wants to teach William Ernest how to fight and how to stand up for himself. Why do you think that Gilly thinks it's so important that William knows how to not let himself get picked on? Why is that so important for him to be able to do? Send me a voice message and tell me your thoughts. <laughs>